Well, good morning. Welcome to the Blue Lake Presbyterian Church. Today's sermon is titled, Rescued. But I'd like to kick it off with something comical first. Moses, Jesus, and an old man go golfing. So Moses tees off first. He hits the ball, and that ball is heading straight for the water, right in front of that putting green. So Moses raises his club, the water splits, that ball goes right through, and it lands right on the green. Then Jesus gets the swing. He cranks it out, and the ball is heading straight for the water. Jesus closes his eyes, the ball skips right over the water, right onto the green, two feet from the hole. Then the old man drives the ball. And it looks like that ball is going straight for the water as well. But a fish jumps out and takes the ball. At that exact same time, an eagle drops from the sky, pulls the fish out of the water. As the eagle is flying over the putting green, a lightning bolt hits right from the sky, (laughs) drops the fish on the putting green, the ball pops out, and roll straight into the hole for a hole in one. So, at that point, Jesus turns to Moses and he said, That's it. This is the last time I'll bring my dad going golfing. <laughs> oh, in a little bit, we'll be hearing a little bit more about the boundless miracles of, of God. But before we go there, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, just last week, the Tuesday after uh, Labor Day, I was on my way to a convention, and guess what? Palm Beach, Florida. Now, the organization hosting this convention had sent out a notice on Labor Day, the day before, that uh, the convention was still going on because based on all their models, the storm pass was far enough away, everything looked fine, and the convention was still on. So I stepped on that plane on Tuesday morning, and even though I had some trepidations about it all, I boarded the flight here in Arcata. And with a two-hour layover in San Francisco, I started checking some of these forecasts and some of these models. And I was starting to get pretty uneasy about continuing the trip with the possibility of getting stuck in Florida with airports shutting down and flights being canceled while Hurricane Irma was encroaching. So rather than boarding that flight to Miami, I took the return flight to Arcadia instead. Well, by the time I returned... The convention had been canceled after all. Irma proved to be a superstorm. The most powerful hurricane recorded in the Atlantic Ocean. Thousands were rescued from the islands in the Caribbean and in Florida. Now, just weeks earlier, Hurricane Harvey pummeled the Houston area with over 50 inches of rain. It became the most costly natural disaster 
in U.S. history. More than 10,000 people were rescued from rooftops, from hospitals, from rest homes, and from cars stuck in the floodwaters. Volunteers from all over came to Houston to help out. And then we vividly remember the images of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans 12 years ago. One of the largest natural disasters to ever hit the United States. And according to a U.S. Coast Guard report, an estimated 60,000 people were rescued from rooftops and flooded homes. The Coast Guard alone rescued 33,000 people. One of the largest rescue operations in Coast Guard history. But the ultimate rescue mission in the history of mankind took place 3,500 years ago in the days of Moses. And that brings us to today's reading in Exodus 14, verse 19 through 31. And you can find that on page 60 in your pew Bible. And I'll give you a moment to look it up. The angel of God was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It became between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other. All night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night long and turned the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army. And threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels, so they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at dawn, the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground 
through the sea. The waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, folks, this rescue mission and the subsequent destruction of the entire Egyptian army is ingrained in the history of the Jewish people. Rabbi Irvine Greenberg writes, The Industrial Revolution and the French Revolutions are important milestones in history. But when Jews observe Passover, they are commemorating the exodus from Egypt, which is perhaps, arguably, the most important event of all time. The majority of the Jewish holidays find their origin in the events of the Exodus, and they are spelled out one by one in Leviticus 23. Well, the Bible says in Exodus 12, the people of Israel left Egypt and counted 600,000 men, plus women and children. That makes it an estimated 2.7 million people. Now, God had promised Abraham in Genesis 22, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, last time we were here, we talked about Joseph and the reunification with his brothers and his father Jacob and the whole family moving to Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Israel. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants at that time were 66 people. Then, 430 years later, the number grows from 66 people to a population of 2.7 million. Well, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Ronald Reagan, while signing the INF Treaty in 1987, used an old Russian proverb, Doveriai, no proveriai, which means trust, but verify. Somehow, I like that proverb. It is my second nature to validate and double-check numbers. And although I have absolutely no reason to doubt these numbers, I was curious to find out at what rate the population of the Israelites had grown in those 430 years. As a benchmark, the average annual growth rate over the last 100 years in America was 1.3%. In Europe, it was 0.6%. In the Middle East, 2.1%. And in South America, 2.3%. In order to go from just 66 people to 2.7 million in 430 years, this equates to an average annual growth rate of 2.5%. In other words, in light of God's promise to Abraham, 
This number is very plausible. The Pharaoh that was hospitable to Joseph and his family four centuries ago was a Pharaoh of the 12th dynasty in Egypt. But he is obviously long gone, buried in a pyramid in Lahun. But in the days of Moses, there was a much more oppressive Pharaoh, believed to be Thutmose II of the 18th dynasty. Egyptian records show that he died with no son to succeed him. Pharaoh is getting very concerned with this rapidly growing population of Israelites in his land. They are slaves. They're doing hard work. They're being mistreated. And God calls on Moses to rescue his people from the heavy hand of the Egyptians. But Pharaoh is not willing to release his guest workers, the ones doing all the dirty work in Egypt. So God sends a series of ten plagues, one of which is the plague of the locusts. You may wonder, what are locusts? It's a question I had a few weeks ago. Well, what are the crops we grow in Oxnard, and our farm in Oxnard showed some, some distorted-looking plants. And as the weeks went on, the symptoms were getting worse. And after testing what was affecting these plants, we learned this was, this was some rare disease. It wasn't a virus or a bacteria, but a unique organism that can only be spread by leaf hoppers. No other insect or contact is capable of spreading this disease. Only leaf hoppers. Well, then we learned that locusts, grasshoppers, and leaf hoppers are all part of the same family. So we got a small glimpse of the destruction that locusts can cause. Ten plagues came upon the land of Egypt. But ultimately, it was the plague of the death of all the firstborn sons of Egypt, including Pharaoh's son, that made Pharaoh concede and finally allow the Israelites to leave. Off they go, led by a cloud to guide them during the day and a pillar of fire at night, according to Exodus 13. And then after a few days, the Egyptian army is in full pursuit of the Israelites. But in an interesting turn of events, God directs Moses in Exodus 14.2 to make a turn and camp along the shore of the Red Sea at Pihahiroth. Now, the Red Sea has two forks, two fingers. You got the Gulf of Suez on the west side of the Sinai Peninsula, and you got the Gulf of Aqaba on the east side of the Sinai Peninsula. Now, there's much speculation where this crossing would have taken place. Some put the crossing by Lake Timsa, a salt lake on the north end of the Gulf of Suez. 
Another scenario puts the crossing on the south side of the Gulf of Aqaba, on the east side, through coral reefs in relatively shallow water. But a fascinating study by scientist and marine biologist Dr. Leonard Muller of the Karoluska Institute in Stockholm uses the premise that the Israelites were led through the Wadi Wadir, a meandering and winding maze of dried up riverbeds with mountain formations on both sides. Jewish historian Josephus wrote in the first century, for there was on each side a ridge of mountains that terminated at the sea, which were impassable by reason of their roughness and obstructed their flight. Well, the Israelites eventually get to this place that opens up called Pihayroth, which means mouth of the gorges. It is a huge sand plain that extends into the Gulf of Aqaba, called the Nueva Peninsula, an area that could easily hold 2.7 million people. Here the Israelites are trapped. 2,000 feet rock formations on the north side and the south side. The Egyptian army behind them in the west. And in front of them, a huge body of water facing east. Now the Nueva Peninsula is formed by the sediment from rivers running into the Gulf of Aqaba. And scientists have discovered a land bridge that extends from the Nueva Peninsula to the shore on the other side in Saudi Arabia. In, 2000, in the year 2000, Dr. Muller did an expedition at this site. He found evidence of unusual coral structures, some resembling shapes of chariot wheels that are scattered all over the sandy surface of this land bridge. Just imagine what the Israelites must have felt like. Here they are, with nothing but water in front of them. Galloping horses and chariots closing in behind them. It seems like there is no hope. It seems like darkness is upon them. It seems like God has forsaken the Israelites. It seems like the end is near. They either get slaughtered by the Egyptian army or put in chains and go back to Egypt and spend the rest of their lives as slaves. It seems like the rescue mission is coming to an end. But then, Moses raises his hand over the Red Sea. Scripture says, the Lord, drove the, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. Now, to some people, this seems improbable, totally impossible. But is it? Just last Sunday, 
when Irma was barreling onto the coast of Florida, there were news reports of miles of ocean that had disappeared along the Bahamas. As far as the eye could see, there was dry land and no more any ocean. Then later in the day, there were reports from Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a pretty good-sized bay. Completely drained. Supposedly, this had never happened before. Or maybe it had. And Moses could tell us some stories about it. What must have been in the mind of those people standing there at Nueva Beach? Their lives flashing by. This was it. But here is the good news. Moses said in Exodus 14.13, Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Stand where you are and watch the Lord save you today. Friends, stand where you are and watch the Lord save you today. What is your Red Sea moment? How often do you feel like you have been driven into a place where there is no way out? A place where you may have been diagnosed with a troubling medical condition or a bad report from a doctor. A place where you no longer see the light with your mortgage payments or your credit card bills. A place where addiction is ruling your life and you no longer see a way back. A place where all the walls seem to have closed in on you. A place where there is no longer any hope, no pathway out, no solution to escalating problems. A place with overwhelmingly difficult circumstances. A place where it feels like you hit rock bottom. Just like Moses listened to God, so can we. God loves us. He gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to forgive our sins. To take off our burdens. To break the chains. He is the light of the world, the light in the darkness. Jesus is the one that can rescue us. This morning we have some Teen Challenge students here with us this morning. And last week, or it's actually two weeks ago, Teen Challenge had their annual fundraising dinner. And they raised over $95,000 that night. Yeah. The testimonies that we heard that evening from some of the students were heartwarming. At one point, through whatever the circumstances were, they found themselves in a dark valley. But they were rescued. They were saved by the never-ending love of Jesus Christ. 
The Lord entered into their hearts and souls and had changed their lives forever. And the happiness that exudes from these students is contagious. Friends, when you have your Red Sea moment, put your trust in Jesus. Accept Him as Lord and Savior. Start a relationship with Jesus Christ, and He will take you by the hand. He will carry you out of the dark valley. He will rescue you, and He he will save you from the powers of darkness. And He will provide you with eternal peace. Just like the cloud by day and the column of fire by night, let the Israelites through the deserts and the Red Sea, Jesus Christ will be our guiding light, our beacon of hope. And he will save and rescue us and lead us through that narrow gate on the pathway to eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.